welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. Danielle's back. I am here. So this time we're going to discuss a murder. And I know you like murders because you discuss a lot of murders. That's my forte. I mean, not the actual process of murdering someone. I mean, if that has or has not happened, I'm not going to confirm it here. <laughs> I will not leave evidence that I've murdered or thought about murder. Cops don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> so how familiar are you with Cleveland? Mm, not on Urban Dictionary, because that's the Cleveland steamer, and we're not going to talk about that. We're not talking about that. It's dark, dark place. I had a friend move to Cleveland. I've been there. It's been a long time, but I have been there. My sister-in-law is from Cincinnati. Is that That's enough? where I am now. Okay. No, I was just trying to get a, a base knowledge because I'm doing a Cleveland murder from the 80s. Okay, yeah. So, uh, there is a neighborhood called Willoughby, and it's on the east side of Cleveland in Lake County which people should be kind of familiar with that because I did the Kirtland cult murders and that's also in Lake County. I worked in the city for a very long time, actually. <laughs> I, it sounds familiar. So lifeguard. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a lifeguard for them for six years. Six long years. And did anyone ever die? No, I, I rescued actually quite a bit of people. I rescued one girl twice at the same pool party. And you're like, now you owe me a tip. That's two times. Well, it was kind of her parents weren't watching her, and it was more like I wanted to beat the parents, <laughs> which was normally what happened. It wasn't like, it was like their kids. They kind of know, they kind of don't know. It's the parents' fault at that point, and you're just staring oh, yeah. at them like, stop telling me your child can swim. Your child cannot swim. Your child's actively drowning right now. Actively. <laughs> <laughs> actively drowning. Uh, well, passive drowning is normally when you're not moving and you tend to sink to the bottom. So you don't want to get to that point. Facts you didn't need to know. Nope. Basically my life. Um, so Christy Montrella in 1988 was 16 years old, one of four, and a junior at Willoughby High School. Um, I'm sorry, Willoughby South High School because they're very particular. Um her neighbor said she was a daddy's girl, well-mannered and always polite. She would babysit the two handicapped children across the street. She even nursed an injured squirrel back to health, which I'm like, how do you catch a squirrel? squirrel. <laughs> and let alone, let alone nurse it back to health. But Man, squirrels are... Uh, she also... Squirrels are begging to be roadkill here. Ain't nobody nursing any of them back to health. Same. Same. Not a fan. On top of that, she ran cross-country at her high school. She normally worked her part-time job at a pizza parlor in Willoughby, and that would be the last time anyone would see her, Saturday, October 15th in 1988. So this is not going to be as in-depth, just because I have literally accumulated this thanks to Samantha from the Hidden Staircase podcast letting me use her uh, newspapers.com stuff. And from all of the newspaper clippings on the case, there is no consolidated source on this. 
So here you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so many newspaper articles. Um, so she left work late at night and then her parents were concerned when they realized she didn't come home and they started a search. The whole community, not just will be like neighboring cities also started to search for her. So on Sunday, they kind of realized she wasn't a runaway because a motorist found oh, yeah. uh, Christie's purse stained with blood on I-271. So that's one of the main routes in uh, freeways around Cleveland. Okay. So they were like, they were like, okay, clearly she did not run away. This is suspicious as hell. And they test the blood on the purse. You want to guess what kind of blood it was? Not her blood or her blood. One of the two. Squirrel blood? It was not. It was not squirrel blood. Okay. <laughs> it it was human blood. Okay. So they have her bloody purse and still no Christy. On Monday, so two days later, they found Christy's car at a restaurant that's about a two-minute drive from the pizza parlor where she worked and they go in and they're trying to figure out if anyone saw her. They did not. And they're like, okay, even weirder, clearly more foul play. We're going that way. So on Wednesday afternoon, Christie's parents appealed to whoever took her in a news conference. Janice and Dennis uh, held each other as they appealed for them to just return, turn her daughter back. They're like, we don't care. Just please bring her home. Uh, at the same news conference, police revealed that the blood was the same blood type as Christie's. Do you want to guess how they knew that? Mm, they knew her blood type? Or, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they were talking to her, the police were talking to her classmates, and they were like, yeah, we did blood tests in biology last year. So <laughs> class assignment basically told them that. Okay, yeah. If you ask me my blood type right now, I probably don't remember it. I have never done mine. I don't like needles. That's why I don't have any tattoos. <laughs> so. And police are based on what they, they, she knew it was. They're like, this is pretty much true. And they're like, we're still going to fingerprint the bag. So they have her purse covered in most likely her blood. So the Willoughby Police plus local communities police joined in searching a 12-mile section of 271 around where her purse had been found. On top of that, a motorist found a white shoe in a similar area matching the description of Christie's work shoes. Uh, quote, it was, would almost indicate to me that it was thrown from a car, said Lieutenant Young. He said that the Montrells had not been able to confirm whether or not the shoe began belonged to their daughter, end quote. So, okay. now have her purse and a shoe. And blood. And, yeah. And I should, so 271, even where it's really built up around there, there's normally trees and grass and all of that. And around Willoughby, there's some wooded areas along that route. So, you know, possibly you could hide a body there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thursday evening, it, there was a report that went out that a body of a girl was found near 271. She was found in the trees five miles north where they had discovered her purse and shoe. In the trees? She was in the trees? Well, like back, like 
and in the wooded area. Okay. I was making sure it wasn't like up in the trees because that's fucked up. That would be insane. Um, they tentatively identified the, that body as 16 year old Christy, which I mean, she's so young. Like, what were you like? Think about it. what were you doing at 16? I'm being real dumb, but I was usually where I said I was. I mean, yeah, usually, but, you know. They had to identify her through her dental records, which is ah. terrible. Yeah. She was actually found fully closed with no indication of sexual assault, so. Yay? Yeah, I mean, I take that. I mean, no indication. But the initial state of the body made the police advise Christie's family, like, you do not want to see that. You do not want to see this. Really, you do not want to. Uh, so, Lieutenant William Young was actually, they found the body in. Dennis Montrella called him shortly after, and he kind of had to tell Dennis, hey, we found your daughter. He didn't want to, but he's like, when the father of the missing girl is calling you for an update. Oh, that would be hard to lie. Yeah. Yeah. So... The police decided to send over an officer who had gone to school with Dennis to update the family on the progress. Like, hey, we found the body. Don't look at it yet. Yeah. So the police now know this is a murder case, obviously. Um, but with basically no suspects. So they begin to question those around Christy. By Friday of the next week. So this literally happens... Um, the 15th, and by the 22nd, they have their suspect. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was really quick. <laughs> it was like reading this, I was like, holy! I was like, it, did they do this all in a week? She went missing, and within a week, they, they found her. It's like four and a half days till they found her. And then by like the next Friday, they had the guy, and I'm just like, Wow! That's great police work because Willoughby does not have a lot of murders, but I think they got some help from possibly Cleveland or other cities. Um, so they filed aggravated murder and kidnapping charges against her coworker, Donato Lombardosi, who is 27 from Mayfield Heights, which is a little farther south on actually 271. So it makes sense if he was coming from Willoughby to Mayfield Heights if he's taking 271 because that's the quickest freeway okay. method to get there. So basically they didn't leave work. They left work together probably. And uh, he dropped her off on his way home. We're going to say. Hmm. So he appeared in court still dressed in his street clothes, quietly answering uh, judge Robert J. Grogan. And before he got his bond, he admitted that he was convicted previously of a concealed weapons charge when he was 18, and he was on probation after that case. I don't know if he was still on probation at the time, hmm. but he already had a criminal record, and he did not enter a plea at that given time. So, you know, who's to say? So, kind of interestingly... Lombardosi had two jobs. They always mentioned he was working at the pizza shop, which one article I saw said was his parents. And he also worked as a concrete finisher, which I don't know what it means, but I'm just assuming it's like a wrestling move where you finish someone as your like end move. So oh. he finishes the concrete. I don't know. Um, 
It needs to be said I was 16 and working at a pizza shop. Did you eat all the pizza? Oh, yeah. I worked like the substation though. So, but yeah, lots of pizza. I was always really greasy. That's, That's not attractive. Oh, I worked at pizza places. Yeah, you eat a lot of food. Oh, yeah. You just, Especially if you're bored. Oh, when I was bored, I cleaned. That's why they liked me. Uh, <laughs> they're like, keep that one. I was the hostess. All you do is stand. If no one's coming in, you're bored. The phone's not ringing, you're bored. So, Cuyahoga County Coroner Elizabeth Balra, um, I think it's significant. It's a, They went to Cuyahoga County Coroners because I don't... Lake County is big, but I don't know if they have a lot of murders and stuff like that. So I think it was just due to the nature. They were like, we want a good job. Let's go next county over where they handle a lot of murders and stuff. I've been to that morgue. It's very nice. <laughs> oh, what, really? I went I went for class. I'm just going to say that. I went for class. I did not go for any other reason. You didn't break in. Um, I went for a high school forensics class. And our teacher, I'm so jealous, who was a pathologist before, um, she goes, I'm normally lucky because they tend to be dissect, like doing an autopsy when they visit. They weren't kind of okay with it. I did get to see an x-ray of a guy who committed, completed suicide via nail gun. That is commitment. Yeah. Like four nails. That is. Uh, see, my dad has a nail gun with a compressor. It, it does scare me. It does. Like, it's just going to go off or something and shoot nails everywhere. So, yeah. Now I'm even but, more afraid I of mean, it. I mean, for that you. one, it's like, it was like he like committed and then like a bunch of other really weird x-rays. They had fun showing us that. And then two of my classmates dropped concentrated hydrochloric acid. It's fine. <gasps> they were having us uh, do tests on drugs. <laughs> All I ever did was religion classes. Like, I'm really jealous. <laughs> yeah. It was mainly because the professor, like the teacher, used to be a pathologist. She also buried, like, all the dissected animals. She had a farm, and she would just bury her the bodies of, like, a bunch of frogs and stuff in her backyard. <laughs> <laughs> she was really nice. Just a bit odd because, you know, she, like... I think you have to be for something like that. Well, they don't let you out of like it. Apparently, if you're the low, this has turned into pathology talk of all, the little knowledge I have of it. Um, she said because she was a low man on the totem pole, she always had the worst shifts, and she would just like work long hours and basically sleep in the morgue. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Uh. No. No. Yeah. No, thank you. And out. the first thing, she, the first thing she bought when she like was done with that job was like a brand new Mini Cooper because you get paid really well. <laughs> Oh, she was great. Um, so Balra had determined that Christy had died of strangulation and two stab wounds to the neck. So a little aggressive and personal. Mm-hmm. Personal, I was going to say. Not a gun. Yeah. Strangulation is personal. Stabbing someone in the neck is also very personal because you have to get close. It is messy. The They determined that there was no signs of sexual assault. It took a while to determine this because they had to take the tests and then... It was the 80s. Um, Additionally, they said there was no drugs or alcohol in her system at time of death. So, can't blame that. Nope. It's not her fault. Thank you very much. She was sober, as sober could be. Uh, Because Ohio is a death penalty state, 
The prosecutor yeah, asked for the death penalty. <laughs> during this time, um, especially during the search and later discovery of Christie's body, Dennis, Janice, and their three remaining children received outpouring of support by the community, um, just in like love and stuff. Quote, they, the letters, have been a source of our strength and hope for better days, Montrella said. You have made us very proud to be part of this community, end quote. And that'll come back. Like, I found out about this case because a family friend mentioned it. And I was like, I have never heard of this. And okay. I have no idea why I haven't because I grew up around here. Um, so because of all this attention, like, I mean, this got national attention at the time. Jay Ross Haley, one of Lombard- Lombardosi's three attorneys, asked the common police judge, Donald C. Nugent, not Ted Nugent, to rule um, on a request based asking for a change of site uh, after the jury is chosen. Or, like, basically, he's like, there have been more than 50 newspaper articles written about the case, so he's like, there's no chance of us getting a fair trial here. Kind of fair. But uh, Judge Nugent said the jurors would be questioned about the publicity once they are seated. And he was going to do a wait and see policy if they should move the case. He's like, if it seems like it's a problem, we'll deal with it. But until it's a problem, we're, we're not going to move. This is a, it's a lot of work and effort to do that. Yeah. Well, they never made it to trial because a plea bargain occurred. Bardosi changed. <laughs> I mean, I, I think in this case, I might be why there's not a lot of information on this case. Um, it might have helped the family to not have to know uh, uh, yeah. what he did. And that's also why you didn't have as much information if there was a trial. And then usually there's an appeal and that stuff's like online and the facts of the case are displayed out. Yeah. So um, Lombardosi changed his plea to guilty because, you know, the death penalty Mm-hmm. And he didn't want. So after this change in the plea, the family wrote an open letter that they are satisfied with the life imprisonment sentence with no parole um, possibility for 30 years. They in part of the letter said, quote, Lombardosi's plea guilty plea means the end to this horrible nightmare. We are very pleased with this outcome. It gave us truth and a guarantee Don Lombardosi has taken all he will ever take from us and in the process has destroyed his own life and that of his family. He will serve 30 long and harsh years. It is death, end quote. So they were okay with it. They're like, you know what? It ends this. We don't have to deal with it. So they thought. I was going to say 30 years. That's garbage. I don't know how many hours, like in Indiana, 12 hours is a day. So if you get 30 years, it's like 15 years. I don't know what it is in Ohio. I do not know either. In Florida, it can be every 12 hours is three days because everyone's so overbooked in prisons. Yeah, it's it's never what it says they is, you know? I think it's the problem is we over, we don't, for really harsh crimes, they get convicted of, I think, reasonable things, but the prisons are overcrowded with less necessary crimes. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Really? You're putting them in this long for that? Okay. Go ahead. Now I need to know. So June 1991, Lombardosi, now 30, filed a motion in Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court saying 
Um, the pretrial publicity and the community outrage denied him a fair trial. So he was representing himself in the filing, <laughs> which I kind of love when they do that. Oh, yeah. It's like, you do that. Go ahead. You have fun. Um, he says he was denied the right to the presumption of innocence and was compelled uh, to waive a jury tri- trial and plead guilty because there was basically a lynch mob of publicity and he really just wanted to do it for his family. I don't know what, like who else? Like I don't, like they, I never saw any mention of anyone else who could have done it. Additionally, he said the media fed the distorted issues and basically pushed for the death penalty because Christie's disappearance was on the newspapers and television broadcasts for weeks the entire facts of the case had become so disordered and the search for truth had taken a backseat for basically the public wanting their pound of flesh. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And he pleaded guilty on the day jury selection was supposed to begin in March 1989. So, I mean, that case moved very quickly. This is really only a couple of years afterwards. Additionally, um, Lombardo felt that they were going to get a better he was going to get better deal and like reduced if he accepted responsibility and he didn't believe that happened he thought it was going to be around 20 years instead of the 30 years before he could get parole um so the the and the the judge basically and counsel like the prosecutor said uh no you got a fair trial they didn't grant that well Okay, good. Uh, nearly, well, actually, last year in 2018 was nearly 30 years since he took, well, it was 30 years since he murdered Christy Montrella, and he was up for parole. Ten years before, he was also up for parole, so in 2008. And his parole was de- denied that time because the family and others in the communities signed a petition to keep him behind bars. They got thousands of signatures. Man. So the judge looked at it and said, uh, no, the, the community doesn't believe that you served your time. It's not. That's not enough time. And that he didn't get 20 years instead of 30. I hate it when I kill people and get too much time for it. That's the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah. Detective Lieutenant Jim Schultz of the Willoughby Police Department said uh, about the family, quote, they want to remain in private and quiet, but for God's sake, they lost their do- daughter. And what happened in October 1988 was that good behavior. He did what he did, and it was absolute the absolute worst you could do to a person. This guy needs to stay in jail, end quote. So he's basically able to get out because he's a good prisoner. And they're like, no, you did something horrible, like one of the worst things you can do. So... Detective Schultz is actually one of the powerful people behind this uh, petition drive that happened last year. And they, like I said, they ended up with thousands of signatures, 13,000. And last year they, on the news and everything, they were putting drives up to basically prevent him from getting out of prison. They were successful. Um, So you see it up, make sure to, Sign that petition because he's a garbage person. Garbage. Do we know why he did this? Are you going to tell me why? No, there was nowhere 
that explained why he did it. And it's uh-huh. so frustrating. I was like, she probably said, no, I will not sleep with you. And that hurt his feelings. And so he had to rectify the situation. Well, plus she was pretty much 10 years younger than him. So it's creepy. Very creepy. And even in Ohio, that's statutory rape. Man, I want to, that, that should be part of the plea deal. You have to tell me why. And I don't know is not a good answer. Yeah. So there is actually some good that came out of this. The Montrellas started giving gifts in Christie's name. They have sent 29 students from Willby South High School to college. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that's the good part about this. This is a horrible, horrible thing that we don't know why it happened. But Christy Montrell like, was just living her life, doing her part-time job, getting ready. You know, she was a junior that year, so she's probably looking at colleges and everything. And this man tore it apart left her on the side of a freeway like she was nothing and clearly that that always hurts the garbage like i'm throwing you out like you're garbage that always stings a bit extra i don't know why it just does yeah i think it's it's hard because there's still memorials for her people are like like it's very active that people in like northeast ohio remember and they still do like remembrances for her, her parents every year give a like a scholarship. It's just insane. Like she like this man took someone who could have been a real great member of the community and tore apart and her family's trying to do the best they can to contribute in her absence, I guess. Now that we're thoroughly all depressed yeah. because we don't know why, because it's not out there. And <laughs> it's just really upsetting. You know, she was 16. You know, your whole life is ahead of you at 16. Oh, yeah. There's, it's, it's a really rough age. And to be going to school and having a job, and that makes you a normal, successful teenager. And she probably wasn't doing a damn thing wrong. Oh, no. Probably, she probably didn't do anything wrong. And the fact that he hit her car makes it feel so much more like premeditation. That makes me ill. I mean, he didn't do a great job of hiding her car, but he did try to, like, cover his track. Uh, so, Danielle, do you want to tell everyone where they can find your po- lovely, lovely podcast? Yes, we're Hoosier Homicide and all things Instagram, Facebook, and all other podcasting platforms. It is not suitable for work. Well, thank you. F- I listen to it at work. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> With your earplugs in, you listen to it. Yeah, I work in a bullpen area. Like, I can't listen to anything without earplugs. No. And we don't put a warning in in our intro. We're not like, hey, by the way, may contain graphic or... We don't even do that. I don't know why. I guess I should do that. Eh, You figure it's true crime. You gotta assume. I just mark mine as explicit. Yeah, I do that. Count it as a win. People are weird. I don't know who my next guest guest is, but it'll be great. Thank you, Danielle, again, and we'll have to chat soon. Yes. Hi, I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a show that delves into the darker side of the not-so-golden state. Together, we will visit some of the most unhinged and chilling crimes that ever shook California and beyond. Join me as I take you on a journey into a new story each week with a different backdrop from all around California. 
from the bright lights and glamour of Hollywood to the picturesque and tranquil wine country. No crime, no town, nobody is off limits. Listen to California Dreaming on the Orbital Jigsaw Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In five, four, three. Hey, everybody, this is Danielle. And this is Daniel. And I'm Carla. And we are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know what a Hoosier is. Do you? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do. Great. We don't need to look anything up. <laughs> Go to Wikipedia and type in Alabama Hot Pocket. No, don't do that. <laughs> And that'll tell you what a Hoosier is. Just come listen to us. You'll find out. Anyway, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Hoosier Homicide. You can also download any episode you prefer off of Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. We tell true crime stories with some random connection to our home state of Indiana. So come listen. That's what she said. For the love of God. <laughs> and for honest to goodness, stay out of the corn. Pretty good. Of domesticity, we're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word, or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.